by now you've heard about the horrific attack by Hamas in Gaza, from Gaza, attacking and infiltrating the southern uh, area of, of Israel. And it's very near and dear to my heart. I am an Israeli, as you know. Uh, I've been to Israel many times as well after I was, I was born there. I was actually born in Ashkelon, one of the towns that was hit. Uh, and so we, of course, have many relatives there, many friends there. Uh, all of my, the kids of my cousins have been called up for duty. Uh, so it's, it's very personal to me, this, this uh, event. This is a horrific event. And, you know, there are many factors to look at and to analyze in this particular matter. And, and one of them is, you know, of course, how could this have happened in the first place? How was, you know, Israel so caught off guard? Look, we'll figure this out later on. That's in and of itself a separate story. It's not just Israel that was caught off guard. It was America that was caught off guard. Um, there should have been enough chatter and other noise for Israel to figure this out. Uh, they didn't. It was a surprise. Um, and there will be recriminations and probably investigations about why this happened. But right now, the main mission is to deal with these monsters called Hamas and to obliterate them from the face of the earth, Right. Let me make this very clear what I think should happen. So no, nobody will have to worry about this. And you watch what's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna listen to, okay, got his opinion, bye. <laughs> that's it. No, but I promise you there's much more analysis here uh, that's worth listening to. But I, I think that uh, Israel should simply destroy the entire um, Gaza Strip, uh, punish the Hamas team so severely that they will learn never, and for that matter, all terrorists, not just Hamas, will learn never to think about, even think about doing something like this again in the future. Uh, that's the only way. So, because to, to not, okay, what's the alternative? The alternative is, let, let's pretend they didn't take any hostages whatsoever, right? Then, then it would be very easy. But it, as you know, in war, there is never an easy answer. There are, there are always complicated answers um, and solutions. Like the, the movie Saving Private Ryan uh, presents such a conflict with the guy that they had to let go, and, but then he ends up coming back and, and killing some of them. Um, same thing here. It, it's, it's very complicated when hostages are involved. They, they take them back, in this case to Gaza, and then use them as human shields. And in the process, they hope to cripple the ability of the Israelis to actually move forward. Um, and they have to be very selective. And in the process, they can also, you know, there, thereby pick off Israeli soldiers one by one. Uh, who knows about booby traps and everything else? I'm sure they have it all booby trapped and everything else. But if there were no hostages, then Israel could just, just pulverize them, just firebomb the hell out of them, go full Dresden, uh, like the, the Battle of Dresden back in uh, World War II and let it just burn to, to smithereens. After warning them, telling them, get out, uh, so that but they will have no home and no buildings to go back to, okay? And then Hamas can explain to their people why it was such a great thing that they did this. You know, that, that, that's the point, right? But of course the complication is that there are hostages. Uh, by latest reports, that it's anywhere between 100 and 150 hostages. What to do? What to do? Okay, so Devin, I'll, I'll, let me ask you this. Let's say you were a hostage, okay? And I'm uh, speaking only for yourself, not about whether you had kids as hostages or your, your mother was there as a hostage or anything else. Uh, well, <laughs> look at me. 
if it was your mother, <laughs> you don't really, by all means, <laughs> take her. Uh, but if, you know, not to be too glib about it, but, but if, if it was you, would you want Israel to uh, walk on eggshells when it came to d- dealing with Hamas for your sake? You know, because God forbid, you know, a bomb should hit you. What, what, what's your opinion? Or basically the question you're asking, if I can clarify, is like, would I want my life to be so important that Israel sacrifices their safety and every other citizen's safety in Israel? And my answer would be no. At a certain point, and especially just to add to this, I don't think if they even agreed that it would be an honest broker. I I think you're taken hostage. That's it. It sounds dark, but you just have to accept that's it. And I'd rather you not waste valuable resources on my life when it comes to there's we need to protect the country we need to protect the women and children but i'm a guy i'm older so you know yeah yeah i understand and it's it's very tough especially when you're talking about somebody else's life right uh so we're not in that position that's very fair uh also when you're talking about little kids uh who were just in the wrong place at the wrong time it's not as if they chose to be anywhere they, they live there. That's their only crime is to, to live nearby. Um, and so it's very hard. It's very hard. At the same time, uh, if you were to give into this idea of, of uh, making sure that everyone is protected uh, and that the, the no, no harm could ever come to anyone because of this and you have to save everybody, well, then that comes at the expense of more danger to the rest of Israel, right? Whatever the country might be, but in this case, Israel. Uh, and it compromises the security of the rest of the country. So let, let's say Hamas gives in to a compromise that's proposed by Israel. And that compromise is something like, we'll give you 10,000 prisoners that we have I don't even know if Israel has that many, uh, but they're all terrorists, right? They're actual terrorists that they caught from before. And now they release them into the wild, as it were, because we want our 150 hostages back. Well, we know for a fact that those 10,000 uh, terrorists will probably kill a hell of a lot more people than the 150 that we're saving. To say nothing of uh, the, the fact that it, you're only sending the signal that they should be able to, that they'll do it again, take more hostages in the future. We can't afford that, right? Nobody can afford that. You're only emboldening the idea that they can profit from taking hostages. That's it. So it's, it's, a, it's a painful uh, decision. Of course, it goes without saying that it's painful, but it's the only decision. Because were you to make <clears throat> any sort of concession, and the concession would have to be huge. It's not as if they would say, okay, <clears throat> one for one. It doesn't work that way in the Middle East. They would never accept the one for one. They would accept all prisoners ever captured by the Israelis, period, end of story, plus a lot of money. Okay, well, what's going to happen with that? They're going to do it again and again and again. So it's like those uh, threatening emails that you get from time to time. Like uh, we have compromising footage of you for whatever reason, right? Uh, and then, you know, you've got to give us money, give it to this, uh, this link, this bank account. And uh, if not, then we re- we're going to release this very compromising video of you. Well, the answer to that is never 
it's just to ignore it. That's the best answer. Because if you do give the money to not release it, then they'll say, thank you very much for the money. Now we want twice, twice as much. They know that they've got a fish on the line, as it were, right? So we can't, we can't afford that. <clears throat> so th there is only one answer to this, and that is to firebomb the entire place. Yeah, I know. It sounds very tough. But is there any other solution? Yes, I would love to be able to pinpoint every single hostage and rescue every single one, of course. But it will come at a cost not only of all the things we just mentioned, but also many hundreds of soldiers will die in the process. And uh, of course, for that additional reason, it, does, it doesn't make sense. So uh, look, there's a reason why they declared war. This is the first time I believe that they declared war since the Yom Kippur War. Actual declaration of war. And that changes the dynamic. I don't know how it, how it changes in, in Israel as much as I would in America, but I do know that it, it changes the rules of what they can do and what they can't do. So <clears throat> handling a skirmish, um, you know, for example, in the old days when it was just a couple of firebombs, uh, rockets from Hamas into Israel, they could punish them, you know, with some sort of proportional thing. This time it's war. And the idea is we want to obliterate the enemy altogether. That's war. <clears throat> and that's the attitude that they're taking. And that gives them more license uh, to do more aggressive things. And God willing, they, they will do exactly what we're talking about. Absolutely. And I think that the key is that this really is a defining moment on so many levels of exactly what a lot of people have been saying, including me, about this conflict and who both sides are. And it is drawing out in America people who really have been ignorant but now have no excuse not to say this is the enemy unprovoked for no reason. This is what they did. And if you're going to be on that side, it's good to know what side you're on. Yeah. And I am not on that side myself. Yeah. You, you bring up an interesting point because uh, it, it is clarity for the first time for a lot of people. But th these people who don't want to recognize uh, Hamas and all the evil that they're doing, it's not so much that they don't want to recognize Hamas or that they're anti-Israel, although they are. Okay. What's, what, what's really going on is that they refuse to recognize evil. That's what's happening. It is far more comfortable to look away, pretend that it's not happening. And this is one of the biggest mistakes, by the way, of Hamas, is to proudly uh, upload all these photos and videos of these horrific things that they're doing, because it's impossible for your eyes not to see these things. The beheaded soldiers, the beheaded babies, for crying out loud, uh, the rapes that, that have gone on, uh, horrific stuff that has been going on. And... You know, it's, it's being forced upon it. And once your eyes see it, it's very hard to unsee it. And, and it's, it begs people to, to wonder, have I been backing the wrong horse when it comes to Hamas versus Israel? And of course, they have been backing the wrong horse. You and I know that. Look, I want to go a little bit into the weeds about this because it's, it's been fascinating. Um, I want to talk about Biden. I want to talk about the history of... Uh, this, uh, why, why we are here today, how it all happened. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the immediate things, which you all know about. I mean, you know that we released or unfroze or made the promise of unfreezing $6 billion in assets to the Iranians in exchange, there it is, for five hostages, okay? So they got an appetite 
for, for taking hostages. It certainly works with the Americans. It has worked in the past with the Israelis. Why not do it on a big scale? Yeah, right? And so they went about doing this. Um, and now uh, the, the uh, Iranian situation, we know that, that this is what funded this horrific campaign that we just saw this past weekend. Um, it, it's uh, such an evil enterprise, what happened. And now the Democrats are trying to say, oh, wait, wait, this was earmarked for humanitarian reasons. <laughs> okay, two responses to that. One is Iran itself said, we're going to use it for whatever we damn well please. Okay, so I, it, could, it could be for whatever you think it should be for, whatever they claim to have agreed for it. But they've told you very directly, we're going to, this is our money. Thank you. Okay, you can unfreeze it. Uh, we're entitled to that money. F you. Okay, that's... That's what they, they've directly said. But let's say, just for fun, that the Iranians uh, you know, hold up to the, to the vision that the Democrats have for them, which is that they honor the $6 billion to be used only for humanitarian purposes. Let's just say that, okay? Okay, well, but, but then you, it's, you know, as everyone's saying, money is fungible. And so that whatever money they did have that was not released by the Americans, they could use that now for solely terrorist reasons. And then thank you very much uh, for the $6 billion. We'll use it for the humanitarian reasons that you're talking about, infrastructure, uh, you know, electricity, medical stuff, and such like that. Okay, great. But you've just made it easier for us to do that, right? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know who made the example. Maybe it was Ben Shapiro. He, he, said, uh, he said that it's like giving money to a drug addict who has an apartment, he has to pay the rent and everything else. Now you dump a bunch of money on him and you say, but only use it for rent. Okay, well, whatever money he does have now, you, now he's, he's not going to use that for rent. He's going to use it for drugs, right? Same, same thing, exactly the same thing. So it's, it's silly. Um, anyway, what I said you know, during the video of, of the horrific invasion, uh, I said this is what $6 billion looks like. That's what it is. Uh, but, but beyond that, I want to go to why is it that we are here now? And the reason why uh, goes back to 2005. Uh, in fact, a lot further, of course, because of the conflict, if you want to talk about that, and the natural um, hatred toward uh, the Jews in Israel by radical Muslims. Uh, and these organizations like Hamas and uh, Fatah and the PLO and Hezbollah and everything else, they, their, their mission is all about destruction. It's not about democracy. It's about destruction. And having Israel in the midst of its, uh, what they perceive to be an Islamic caliphate uh, is a tremendous insult to them. Well, but it shouldn't be. Okay? It's just forget about it. Okay? It's like being insulted, uh, you know, that... that that uh, America doesn't speak uh, Spanish. We're not a Hispanic nation, or Canada's not Hispanic. They feel like, like it should be. Okay, well, but we're not going to war on the issue. So um, it, it's something else is going on about this. Now, we were in, in a perfect state of kind of holding them back. We had control over Gaza. We, nothing like this would have ever happened if we had not pulled out of Gaza in 2005. Look, Arik Sharon is, to my mind, one of the greatest heroes, in fact, if not the greatest hero Israel has ever known. His handling of not only the independence war, 
the Six-Day War, but especially the Yom Kippur War, and how he routed the entire Egyptian army in Cairo, in, in Egypt itself, is such a uh, thing of beauty, a strategic beauty, military beauty, that you can't deny it. And, and then later on, even as prime minister, he was brilliant. But he pulled us out of Gaza. That was his biggest mistake. And everyone advised him, including my father, who was very good friends with him. Um, by the way, Sharon would come to our house in, uh, in New York or to our, our apartment. And uh, every time he came to America, he would visit with us. It's cool, right? That's amazing. So, um, and he would be very relaxed and everything else. And every time we would go to Israel, we would stay with him at his ranch. So it was a lot of fun. But that's, uh, that's a little name dropping for you there, right? But, but, but we know Sharon. That's the point. And Sharon decided that it was too much of an effort to keep Gaza under, under control uh, for the sake of uh, Israeli settlers there, what they call settlers, but Israeli communities, let's put it this way, in Gaza, which were very nice towns, by the way. And they were ordered out of their homes. They were you know, taken out, of, dismantled everything for the sake of uh, Israel's uh, prosperity and not having to deal with uh, the madness of Gaza anymore. Well, okay, but everyone said to, said to him, look, you're just going to make it an easier base for Gazans, uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, to um, launch missiles and to go to war with us. The infrastructure will just get better and better for them and worse and worse for us. And don't you know it, after 2005, there were, what, four uh, military conflicts, at least. There might have been more. And then this fifth one that just occurred this past Saturday, uh, which is a huge one. I mean, it, it would never have happened had we not pulled out of Gaza, right? So this is a terrible mistake on the part of Israel. Uh, they, they left unilaterally without any concessions, such as ensuring that there's a complete democratic uh, infrastructure or proving themselves that they could so So that, you know, after four or five years where they, the Israelis would feel confident that they would be a full democracy, okay, great, then, then you can rule yourselves. We're done. But no, no, they made no such promise. It was unilateral, and here we are, as they say. Now it looks like uh, the only answer is to obliterate Gaza altogether. Just, I, I mean, if you, if you move fast forward, if you could show the videos of what happened and what will inevitably happen of the, of the con complete annihilation of Gaza and bring it back to the Israelis of 2005, they would say, okay. Maybe we won't pull out of Gaza, unilaterally at least, right? Maybe. I think it's fascinating. And I think that goes with one of those understandings, and I, I see that a lot in the United States, is not fully understanding your enemy or your opponent. And I'm, the United States, we want to push, oh, everyone's good and they're victims. And it's like, you're not really listening to them and what they're saying they want and what they're saying the world is and to better help someone. Like, you know your wife's eye color probably after the first two years of marriage and she would be really upset if you didn't. You should know what the people in your region want, how they think, and thinking that being nice and doing a unilateral concession is going to help and not be a sign of weakness that they're going to disrespect you for is very important to understand. Not that these people are, although the people who did that action are, uh, you know, it's hard to call them people, but they're the lowest of the low. But 
understanding why, where they're coming from, how they're justifying it to themselves. Everyone needs to really understand that there's a lot more to understand. And the better you understand that, the safer everyone is in this world. Yeah, true words there, my friend, true words. Uh, let's look a little bit about uh, some of the geopolitics of this as well. You've got um, uh, Lebanon and Hezbollah. Now, Hezbollah is a Syrian-backed, sorry, uh, uh, an Iranian-backed uh, terrorist group up in the north as well. And they, they're, they're basically a fascist organization that has taken over uh, Lebanon. And it is really, it's, it's an Iranian puppet state, essentially. And as usual, you know, people fight in a civil war back in the 1970s only to, only to have some strongman, in this case Hezbollah, take over, uh, which is hardly the, the reason why either of the sides actually fought in the first place. But there you go. That's the nature of civil wars. Uh, it, it creates a vulnerability. Now, look, we're, we're finding out that Hezbollah was likely very interested in attacking Israel as well. My guess, and it's a very educated guess, is that uh, the Iranians controlling both Hezbollah and in this case coordinating with Hamas probably uh, encouraged Hezbollah and, Ham and, and Hamas to work together on this attack, one from the north, one from the south. But it didn't happen. Uh, my guess is that they tried to reach out to Hezbollah and say, hey, we're going to do this glorious thing. Why don't you come with us and we'll create more pressure from the north. And then Israel will be really in a, in a tough position. And Hezbollah probably said, you guys are incompetent. Uh, you guys are idiots, because uh, they are. Um, and I doubt that we're going to, that you're going to do very well there. So why don't we, we'll just wait and see what you guys do, Hamas. Because Hezbollah, I don't know if you know this, but Hezbollah is the most difficult army for Israel to fight. Hezbollah, yeah, they, they, um, they did something very smart they decided, okay, look, the Israelis know what they're doing. They're a fantastic army. Let's just adopt whatever army tactics that they use, military operations, the whole, you know, the, the, the ranking system, the whole way that they approach the military. We'll just adopt it, and then we'll fight them using their own tactics, which I think is, is brilliant on their part. I have to give it to them. I, I hate them, but you got to give it to them. They I mean, I, the yeah, they study the enemy, yeah. their enemy. Uh, it's, it's like I can respect General Lee from the Civil War, but I don't want the South to win, right? So General Lee was a brilliant general, that, you, know, and, uh, you know, period, end of a sentence. Uh, but Hezbollah figured this out. So they, they were very strong. They didn't want to get, you know, trapped in something like, like this. Now I think Hezbollah... Uh, regrets not having gone in because they would have created the, the cacophony, the chaos <clears throat> that would have been much more difficult for Israel to handle. It's fascinating to me. Um, anyway, I, I, it's just something to bring up. Uh, one more thing about, about this. Um, kind of the reason why this was all happening in the first place. Uh, the timing of this. So, you know, We know that it's 50 years after the Yom Kippur War. Uh, no doubt that that was a factor. They wanted to kind of rub it in the uh, in the in the nose of uh, of the Israelis that this is 50 years. Don't forget, we know this. Um, now it was not 50 years to the to the day of, the, of Yom Kippur. It's uh, because that's the Jewish calendar, but it was 50 years to virtually to the day on the Gregorian calendar. So it's literally 50 years on the Gregorian calendar. So October 6 uh, slash seven, that's when it happened in. Uh, 
in, in, in 1973, when, when Yom Kippur was fell in those days that year. Okay, so they, they went about doing that. <clears throat> uh, I think that the, the Iranians were very concerned that the Israelis were getting close to a peace deal with Saudi Arabia, among others, but especially Saudi Arabia. And they, that was something they could not abide. Because if Saudi Arabia formalized ties with Israel, it would make uh, Iran that much more of a lone state, a lone rogue state, and they didn't want that. So they needed to keep the, the enemyship, as it were, uh, between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And you would think, okay, no, that's not going to work, but in a sense it did. Uh, Saudi Arabia kind of has held back. It's, it has not condemned what Hamas has done. On the contrary, it seems to have uh, mildly applauded what Hamas has done. So that might put a kink in the, in the ongoing possible peace prospects. We'll see. We'll just have to see about this. Yeah, and that's the thing that I'm like, it's such a horror what happened that how could any country, even like Iran, like if you see that, like I understand war, I understand the need for territory and to take out targets, but what they did was not military. It was it was carnal and monstrous and animalistic. Like that is such a, it's such a terrifying reminder of what humanity can be without God. Mm-hmm. And right now, the thing that's most shocking are the people who are not completely and thoroughly disgusted. Like any country that is not, like they're telling us loud and clear who they are and what they believe. They are certainly doing that. Uh, and that actually leads to my next point. And it's a very important point. Uh, we, I mean, as, as you know, okay, I'm going to relate something to COVID, okay, here. And you're thinking, how are you going to relate this to COVID? I'll show you. COVID is a virus. AIDS, or HIV in particular, is a virus. Okay. We've spoken before about how uh, viruses are different. Uh, the, the more contagious a virus, the less deadly it is, right? The more reach it has, in other words, the less deadly it is. So common cold, <clears throat> not, not really a big deal. If, you're, if your little Johnny has a common cold, you're not going to hold him back. You're certainly not, you, you might hold him back for school today, but you, you're not going to be concerned that he's going to die. Okay. However, if your friend Charlie has HIV, uh, thank goodness for the miracle of science and the cocktails and everything else. But in the old days, <clears throat> Charlie was going to die. It was just a matter of time. Um, now, w- what, what explains this difference? The difference is, as I've said before, and we've, we've talked about before, that the more contagious, the less deadly. Right? So, and, and if it's not contagious, or virtually not contagious, um, then it's going to be much more deadly. That's the way viruses work. Why is that? Because a virus, if you think of it as its, you know, its main agenda is to propagate and make itself more of itself, to replicate itself, well then once it's in the body, uh, like the HIV virus, it's going to be vicious. It's going to completely control whatever it can because it's in you, you're done. Okay? But outside of your body, it, it dies with either light, heat, or air. That's it. You're a goner. And that's why if a friend of yours, God forbid, has HIV, you can hug him, you can kiss him, you can, you can do a lot of things. You can hang out. It, it's, it's okay. You are not going to get HIV unless, you know, you do certain actions that are, uh, what, what do they call it, risky sex. Okay? That's what it is. 
Um, and that's the way you would get HIV. I mean, obviously in the old days, blood transfusions but, or drug injections. But the essence, they, they, sadly, they, the way that's transmitted these days is through that kind of uh, sex. Okay. Uh, the, but, but it will kill you. It is, it is a deadly disease unless you stop it. You don't, you don't have to have uh, some sort of cocktail to stop a cold or even COVID for that matter. You could, you could get COVID today and just ride it through. It would probably be unpleasant, have a headache or two, be, feel a little sluggish, but you'll be, you'll be fine. Okay, so why do we bring all this up? Ready? Hamas is like the HIV virus. You were talking about how gruesome and how horrific the stuff you're seeing on TV is. You're absolutely right. It is. The, the beheadings, the, the rapes, uh, the, the one girl, you could clearly tell she had been sodomized and in addition to being raped, and God knows what happened to her. There have been babies that were beheaded. Uh, one grandmother was set on fire because they didn't want to transport her into Gaza. You didn't know that, yeah, in a wheelchair, yeah. Uh, and then that slaughter of those people in uh, the festival, the music festival. I mean, nobody was just killed, as it were, you know, with just a single bullet. They had to do some horrific things to them. They would parade them around the streets. And then, like I said, they, they, would, they would go ahead and, and parade this on the video uh, and, and make sure the whole world saw it. So, okay, that's HIV, my friends. That, that is... It's a, they cannot, they're not contagious enough. They're, they're actually a weak group of people. That's my point. They're so weak that the only way that they get attention is by doing these gruesome, horrific things. Okay? By contrast, the British Empire, which spread its influence and empire uh, all over the world. The sun never set on the British Empire before World War II, at least. Um, because the British were not vicious. They were not gruesome. On the contrary, it was one of the most Gentile uh, and gentle empires that history has ever known. I'm sure there's some you know, examples of a, this British soldier going rogue and such like that, but that was not the British way. The British way was to convince and to encourage people to adopt a more civilized approach so they projected in a, in a calm way, like the common cold, right? They, they didn't kill, but they were contagious, and they spread far and wide. How do you like that for an analogy, right? Isn't it right? Yeah. Uh, that's what these bastards, Hamas, have to do. They, they can't project themselves. And so they only do what they think will terrify you the most and create the most, inflict the most pain upon you. And that's one of the things where, like, the, the British Empire, when, you, when they would go to China or when they would try to open up a territory, they would go to the leader. They would be men, and it was men at that time, talking to the leaders and looking each other in the eye. They weren't picking off drunk or, like, on drugs because, you know, it's a rave, not putting them down, but they were having a good time. They weren't picking up women and children and young people who were on some kind of substance that's easy pickings. That's not what men do. That's not what strong people do. You have a strong woman, she's got a problem with a guy, she'll go to him face-to-face. She won't pick off his two-year-old child. Only a weak, monstrous child, like... 
a petulant infant would go around picking off 20-year-old women who are dancing at a festival. It is so even, like, I, I can't think of, it, it, no man would ever do that, and no civilized human being would ever do that. And the fact that, and it, I think it's horrific, but it's also a one, I keep on saying this, like, great, show exactly the world who you are. And let us judge the world. Let us judge what the UN does next. They're by, because they've done a lot of resolutions. I don't know if you've heard about a resolution against Israel by the UN. They've done a couple. I would love to see one about this. Yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. They'll, they'll say something and then they'll dilute it. Yeah. You know what we said before about uh, supporting Israel? What we meant is uh, not encouraging violence on, on any side. We, we're against war of all kinds. Yeah, yeah, that's what we are. We're the UN. Yeah. That's, that's what we do. All right, so let, let's think a little bit about what Hamas thought it was achieving by doing this, right? Because my opinion is that they're doing it to be as, as offensive and as crazy as possible. They, they project it up on the, on the websites and everything else, and they think that they are terrifying the Israelis. They, they are demoralizing them. That's the plan. They hope to demoralize Israel as much as possible and that the Israelis would just cave at that point. Uh, no, in, in fact, that these are weaklings. These, like I said, they, they cannot project any, anything beyond what, what they're doing. There, there's no hope of them you know, spreading their beautiful you know, great ideology, like the British did. The, the British had the idea of spreading liberty and, and a, a, the concepts of, of greatness, but not, not, not this, these Hamas jackasses, okay? So, but they thought that they would. And part of the reason why they thought so, you know, sadly enough, is they saw all this internal fighting within Israel, especially about the judicial reform. You saw these protests in Israel. And this is the end of democracy. And they saw a lot of pilots and other soldiers refusing to, um, uh, to protect Israel, actually not reporting for duty, uh, if there is a judicial reform that is to be passed. And so the Ham Hamas thought incorrectly, well, you know, they won't want to fight. They're, they're weak. Uh, let's go in now. Uh, so they were emboldened by that. Now, that's not to say that that uh, people can't have disagreements in Israel, and, and or to do, but it is to understand that Hamas took that in as a factor. Okay, again, I'm all for discussion and heavy debate in a democracy, including the judicial reform. But Hamas got it wrong. They thought that somehow it would demoralize, uh, and, and that that soldiers would, would run away. They, they were 100% wrong. Instead, it's galvanized Israel. We now have 300,000 reservists be called up for duty, 100,000, I believe, in the, in the Gaza Strip, uh, ready to attack directly. So there's, in, in Israel, there's the, uh, the regular army, uh, and then there's the reserves. So the regular army are, are those uh, young people that are between the ages of 18 and, and 23, generally speaking, uh, and they actually serve in the army full time. Uh, and then there's once you end with the army, then you're you, you can go back to your re regular life, but you're in the reserves and you can be called up for duty. And in fact, I think you have a, like a month uh, obligation every year to retrain and to be uh, to be savvy about uh, Israel's security and so on.
So the reservists are now up to, and I think that goes up until about either 45 or 55. I always forget. Um, but that's the age. Uh, it's probably 45. And, uh, and then you're done. Then, then you don't have any obligation at that point. So we've, we've got some, uh, uh, some a huge amount of people now, now protecting Israel. And they're going to see that they really underestimated Israel. I mean, Israel's resolve is very strong. They have actually galvanized. And it will change the face of the Middle East if they do what we hope, you and I, Devin, that we hope that Israel does, which is to obliterate Hamas and say, we're not playing the, the hostage game anymore. We know it doesn't work. It only emboldens you, Hamas and other terrorist groups, to pick off more of our hostages. We're just not going to play this game anymore. It's deadly for us, and it's, it's wrong in, in warfare in every respect. We don't want to encourage it, and we don't want to be sucker punched by it either in the future. That's it. Yeah, and I just to um, go with the weakness, they, because of who they are, they think dis, two people disagreeing or two sides disagreeing is weakness. That's strength. Weakness is like this dictator who can't ever be questioned or looked at or named Fauci or something like that. Sorry, I had to say that. But like a <laughs> um, little humor, but um, not really. But strength is being able to disagree with your the closest people, the people you love the most and still love them and say, I disagree and I might never agree with you on this point, but I'm strong enough to rise above it and see that there's something more important. And the, the most important thing is, of course, God. But it shows how weak they are. They think if there's any internal friction this is a weakness within the country. It's like, no, this means we're strong. Yeah. And we've, we know how to fight and we know what we believe in and uh, together and not. And the survival of Israel, every human being on the globe has to believe in. Yeah. You know, your comment uh, makes me think of, you know, th this is the dichotomy, right, between a country that on the one hand is uh, constantly bickering and a democracy, yeah. right, versus another country, a d dictatorship, which appears to be always unified. Right. And, and one is always uh, more advanced and more sophisticated between Israel and its, its Arab enemies. Israel is the more sophisticated one, uh, great in, in infrastructure, technology, higher education rates, all the good stuff, law and order, uh, you know, ex higher expect expectation of life and, and so on. Uh, and but yet they get to call themselves unified. Right. Uh, they're unified in their mission. Um, and, but those those uh, those democracies, they're so they're fighting amongst each other all the time. And so there's I guess there's dictatorship envy. That's the idea, I guess. But but between the two parties, uh, Republican and Democrat, now I'm talking about in America, one of them proclaims great joy in being unified all the time. All right. Uh, I won't I won't say which one, but it starts with a D. <laughs> and the other one uh, has a lot of friction, internal friction. Uh, and they start with an R. And for those of you Republicans who think that that's somehow uh, you know, a problem for us, problematic, why can't we be unified like the Democrats are unified? Trust me, we're better off the way we are. It's okay, right? Just like democracies tend to have much better infrastructure and are much more stable than, all, than the dictatorships, uh, I'd much rather have that. And, and actually move forward to advance the, the benefit of civilization as opposed to dictatorships which are only designed to, to grab power for the sake of power and ultimately for the ruin of their own people. Okay? How about that for an idea? Uh, it's very interesting. They, they really thought that this would, this would somehow uh, inure to their benefit and putting up these, 
these pictures of these horrific things that they're doing and that somehow we would be moved by them in favor of them. I, I, I just don't see how their PR person said, yeah, let, let's run with that. Let's, yeah, more beheaded children, please. <laughs> like, we don't have enough beheaded children. It's, it's insane that they thought that this would work. Okay, a couple of final points I want to raise. Uh, now Hamas is quickly saying that the group is open to discussion over a possible truce with Israel because they've, quote, achieved their targets, unquote. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. I think Israel's idea of a possible truce might look a little different than your idea of a possible truce or negotiations for that. Your, your vision of what negotiations mean might be very different than what Israel thinks is negotiations because I think negotiations will be, will be done around uh, a flattened Gaza and they'll all be sitting Indian style, as it were, on the ground because there won't be any chairs left. That's how badly it will be. And then Israel will talk terms at that point. But I mean, like on the, on the, on the deck of the battleship after World War II sort of terms, yeah. right? You give up everything. Uh, you lose, we win. That's it. The Ronald Reagan approach, right? Um, but sadly, you know, that a lot of this war is, uh, is a war that is fought outside of Israel and in Europe and in, in America in particular, but especially Europe. So the EU, I was originally very excited. They, they had originally withdrawn their financial support from the Palestinian territories. Uh, but then only a couple of days later, they, they withdrew their withdrawing of the financial support. Now they're going to continue on with, because they got too much pressure, of course. It, it was almost as fast, Devin, just to give you an idea of how fast they withdrew. It was almost as fast as when the White House pulled its original tweet <laughs> that Israel should restrain itself. You know, that, that's how fast. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, man. So in, in tweets, there is truth, as they say, right? No, you, you say that that's not the way that the phrase goes? Okay, in vino, there is truth. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, in vino veritas, uh, it should be in tweet veritas. And uh, they really showed their, their, their cards when they said, okay, well, everyone should be restrained and such like that. Oh, I get it. So they can, they can behead children, rape women, burn grandmothers, uh, destroy whole families, uh, but Israel should be restrained. By all means, keep on doing that, and we will restrain ourselves. Because I think Hamas especially would be so impressed with the restraint that Israel exercised that they will have no choice but to be embarrassed and ashamed of their horrific behavior. Yeah, exactly. They need to, Israel right now needs to put out the fire and then they'll restrain. You don't restrain the water as a fireman. You put out the entire fire and then we can talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh, they just don't understand. Uh, but, but Europe doesn't understand. And, and those people who support Hamas somehow, even after seeing all this, this, these horrific videos, I, I'm confident that Hamas doesn't realize how, how they're turning the tide against them. I don't think anybody looked at these videos and said, you know what, I, I was against Hamas before, but you know what, I, I'm really rethinking it. They might be a cool group. How can I learn more about Hamas? I don't think anyone's saying that, okay? And I think a lot of people are turned off by Hamas. This, this will be a, an inflection point for a lot of people. And, and that's a good thing because they will realize 
the absolute horror. So whatever image they had of themselves being so kind to their people and just wanted to, you know, have a family of their own and, and take their kids to, you know, to the doctors and make sure that they're educated. All that game, that's out the window because they clearly, no human being could do what these monsters have done because they're not human beings. They've, they've uh, forfeited the right to call themselves human beings, right? So that's, that's one way, that, that's a backfire in a big way. And I, I think that, and this is the last point I'll make, I, I think that this is not just a reflection of good and evil. It is, of course. It is clear that the, the Israel is the good guy in this equation. It, it's, it's never lobbed missiles into, um, into Gaza just for fun, unprovoked, right? Uh, it's always been done so defensively, only or in response uh, to some, 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 sort of, some sort of attack. So that's clear. But what, what I find fascinating is how the world that still supports the Palestinians, the terrorists in particular, how they can do so. And it's the only way to do so is to, to ignore uh, the horrific stories that they're hearing right now. That's the only way. And more importantly, even if they do know the stories and they still support these terrorist monsters, then the only reason why is because they don't want to live in a world where there is accountability. They, they don't want to accept evil, the existence of evil, or the existence of a good for that matter. But they want to accept the existence of evil because that would mean a world where they would actually have to address and respond to horrific things like what we're seeing and be accountable at the same time. That's, it's, it's a reflection. I guess, I guess the Hamas conflict holds up a mirror to all of us. It reflects on who we are. So when you talk to your friends today and the next weeks to come, and you ask them about what do they think, and, and, and invariably you'll, you will bump into people who are supportive of Hamas and very vehemently so. They, they won't be tepidly so. They won't say, well, you know, I, you know, maybe there's some arguments that they have and you know, the Israelis could be better. They're not going to say that. They're going to be vehemently against Israel as the monster. And the reason why is because they, they will do anything to avoid having to accept responsibility, reality, accountability, and dealing with evil. That's the last thing they want to do. It is, it's in our DNA that we can't stand to deal with evil. It's, it takes a very special mindset to actively fight evil. Israel's doing it. You and I are doing it. Devin, I, I hope we can continue to do a great job of that. But that, that means standing up for America. It means standing up for Israel, standing up for Christianity, standing up for Judaism. Those four things we must stand up for. I, I'm not a Christian, but I, I'm passionate about Christianity. I'm, I'm ever so grateful. And I, I beg my Christian friends to speak loudly and proudly of their faith. I speak, I, I want everyone to speak loudly and proudly of, of their Americanism, if they are American, of course. And if you're not, speak proudly of, of all the great America has given. Speak proudly of all the great that, that Israel has done as well. 
All those things. Speak proudly. Witness the good and, and stand up loudly against evil. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast uh, regarding this horrific moment in history. Uh, God willing that Israel will turn this around and uh, make Hamas regret ever having even thought about the day that they had a great idea. Really, that's, that's what I would love to, to see. And it's going to happen. God bless to all of you. Be safe. And let's send all of our prayers to Israel and all the Israelis and all those who support the Israelis. God bless. Brock Lurie signing off saying good night. And we'll speak with you next week.